All right, how we doing? Good, awesome. Hey, I'm Andy, uh, one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, just excited to be with you guys this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. Uh, so a long time ago, when I was like 11, 12, I got in a lot of trouble, um, more so than now. Uh, I got in a lot of trouble back then, and in a lot of different ways. First, I was obsessed with fire. Okay, I loved to blow things up. I loved fireworks. I loved bonfires. Like I would be the kid that would twist like a hundred bottle rockets together and just kind of like let them go off in every direction. That was me. Okay, and it got me in some trouble. And then second, I was also a thief. Yes, I was a thief. Uh, not like Ocean's Eleven or anything. Like you know, gum, candy bar, a random fork from a restaurant because we put one in our garbage disposal. That sort of thing. Right? Uh, not condoning these things. I'm just being real. I'm opening up to you. Uh, I'm being honest uh, about some things. Well, one day, these two habits, fireworks and stealing, they came together in a, in a very special place, the old Kmart in Waukesha. You guys remember that place? Yeah, yeah, I miss it. Um, <laughs> a friend and I, we were on the hunt for something we could light and watch uh, explode. And we don't have a budget for this kind of thing when you're 11. And so we thought, hey, let's go to Kmart. It's summer. Uh, they'll have fireworks. Let's take some. So if you're not a thief, here's kind of how it works uh, with kids. Um, you, you watch each other's backs, right? And uh, you look out for employees. And then at a certain point, you get the thumbs up. And that means make your move, OK? Now, I'm the one making the move. I am uh, about to take this giant firework. Now, here's the thing about a giant firework. They don't really fit in your pocket very easily, do they? Right? But thankfully, I'm a skateboarder. And skateboarders back then wore really giant pants. All right? So imagine 100-pound Andy, 42-inch pants. This is going to happen. So there it goes. It just, it, a firework fit right in my pants. It's really weird, but it happened. But here's the problem. I was watched by a secret shopper. Right? And so I'm about to leave the store, and an arm grabs my shoulder, and I'm like, you know, my buddy bolts, he's gone, I'm stuck, I can't run, I have a 30-pound firework in my pants, so I'm just, game over, done. They take me back to their holding cell in Kmart, and they call my mom, right? And I'm like, oh no, she's got to take off of work, she's got to drive here and get me, and it was, it was horrible, right? And the worst part of it, this whole story, is that Kmart told me I was never allowed to go back. And I'm thinking, oh, I, I, to this day, I can't go. It's horrible. I got to shop on Amazon. It's so inconvenient. But anyway, later, my parents, they sat me down at the kitchen table, and they told me why it was wrong. They told me I can't do that sort of thing. Um, and I got my punishment. And that was the end of my thievery. And that was the end of playing with fire for a very long time. Now, this experience actually kind of scarred me a little bit. I was thinking about this. To this day, I, when I don't buy something at a store, I am worried they're going to think I'm stealing. Like, I'm going to walk out of there and be like, I hope someone doesn't grab me, right? Hope the alarm doesn't go off. And I'm not even doing anything wrong, but I'm just a little messed up from Kmart. But the also thing I remember, the other thing I remember from this experience is how I felt when I had to face my parents, right? The fact that I'd let them down, and there's no way out of this. I couldn't talk my way out of it. I couldn't lie. I couldn't hide. I was busted, and I had to own it. And just telling the story reminds me of how I felt uh, before my parents. I was very ashamed of what I'd done. Now, we think about, I think we all have experiences uh, <clears throat> like this in our life. Not like me, where you're putting fireworks in your pants, but we all do wrong, and we get busted to, to varying degrees, right? We cross a line, we commit a wrong, we hurt someone, we take from someone. 
Uh, we do that thing we said we would never do. Um, we keep going back to that one thing, even though we know it's unwise, unhealthy, wrong. And it could be an action uh, that's more of a reaction you just can't control. It could be something, uh, a daily habit that you've just let grow into this thing that's consuming you. It could be something small. It could be something huge where you're wondering, how did I get here? Right? There's a lot of stuff that we could talk about and identify in our lives. It's a huge spectrum. But what we all have in common is that when we do these things, these actions, these habits, it usually leads to the same result. And that's shame, fear, guilt. Right? We hide, we cover up, we try to forget or somehow right these wrongs that we've created in our life. No matter what we've done, uh, we, we find ourselves stuck though. Because we can't undo the past. We can't fix it. We can't erase it. No matter what we've done, we're all left in this condition, ashamed, right? And it affects us. So I've got to ask you a question. Have you done something in your life that evokes so much guilt, so much shame, right? So much uh, just angst in you that you hate yourself maybe, that you feel unwelcome in church? Like you feel you can't be here. Like God is disappointed in who you are. You shouldn't be here. You're unforgivable. You're not welcome, right? Do you believe you can't talk to God because of what you've done? You can't really go to him because you're so ashamed of what you've done. Your past is so bad. There's no going back, right? Now that got real, real quick, right? First, it's like you had me going with the Kmart story. Now I want to curl up in the fetal position, Andy, right? Here's the good news. Right off the bat, I just want you to know this. If I explain something or, or tapped into something that explains your experience in life, you belong here. Right? River Glen is not a place where we all showcase how awesome we are, like we have it all figured out. This is a place for people who are messy, where we can come together and we can find hope and we can find healing and we can find help by turning to an awesome God. All right? So you belong here. You belong here. And this is what we're going to do today. We're going to turn to God because we're in this series called Dangerous Prayers. And I've really been liking this series. Uh, it's hit me pretty hard because I can kind of just fall into a, a habit of praying the same prayer over and over again. Or I kind of resort to this default prayer that I have. And, and these dangerous prayers, um, they, they can open us up to new things. Asking God for new things or going to him, uh, asking for new things. And it's incredible um, what they can do. But it's also uncomfortable because God might answer these prayers and it might lead to change in our life. And we don't always like change, right? But that's what makes them dangerous. Today we're going to look at a prayer that I believe, if you take it seriously, it, it can change your life. It can change the way you view yourself. And it can change the way you talk to God. That's a cleanse me prayer. And, and those are awesome outcomes. So why is this prayer so dangerous? Well, in order to pray a cleanse me prayer, it means you have to come clean. And that's not something we all like doing. In order to ask for cleansing, we have to come clean, and that can be uncomfortable. But fortunately, we can learn from someone. We're going to look at a guy who has been there, and he's a guy who was found out, and then he went to God, and he prayed this prayer, um, asking not only for forgiveness, but for cleansing. God, remove this uh, from my life. And we find this prayer in Psalm 51. And the book of Psalms is a unique book in the Bible. It's prayers, it's songs, it's poems, and it's written by a lot of different people. And Psalm 51 is written by a guy named David, King David. And he was king of Israel right around 1000 BC. And he writes this prayer uh, as a response to something that had happened, something he'd done. And so we're going to look at the events 
that led to this prayer, and then we're going to read the prayer. So just to give you some context, David is the second king of Israel. The first one is Saul, and he's not that great. Uh, He is chosen by the people because they wanted a king, and he turns out uh, to be a flop. And then David comes along. He is chosen by God, and he turns into a really great king. He wins a lot of battles. He is a great leader, uh, a ruler. He's described as a man after God's own heart. So he's, he's like a legit guy. But even David, who, who is this, this amazing king, made serious errors in judgment and did horrible things that we are going to look at. And uh, that's what we're going to see in his story. So it's in 2 Samuel 11. I'm just going to read the beginning so you can kind of get an idea of, of where this is going. So here it goes. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, his nap time, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. So that escalated, all right? Here's more. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. All right. So to put it really mildly, David messed up royally, right? And he is in a pickle. Within the span of five verses, we go from waking up from a nap to an affair, okay? So David here has a problem. So what's he do? He tries to cover this whole thing up. First, he has Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, come to him uh, and visit him. He just got done with battle, so they're talking about the war. And he says, hey, maybe you should spend some time at home, right? He's, he's, he's trying to cover this up, like get him to spend time with his wife. But it doesn't work. Uriah does, doesn't go home. He camps outside David's palace. So David, he, he, tries, he tries again. He goes, hey, he's a little more direct approach. Hey, man, You've been gone a long time. Maybe you should go home and spend time with your wife, right? Like he's very direct here. But Uriah still refuses. He says, how could I go home, eat, drink, and be with my wife while, while my, uh, my, sol- my fellow soldiers are outside camping? So that doesn't work. And this has to sting for David because Uriah is like a stand-up guy. He's loyal to uh, David, to his to, uh, soldiers, to Israel, to God. He's a man of integrity, So David tries to undermine that integrity, that loyalty, by actually trying to get Uriah drunk. But that doesn't work because Uriah just ends up crashing on a couch, okay? David is desperate. He cannot get this to go away. So here's what he does. I'll just read it. All right. He sends a message to the leader of the army, and it says, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. He can't fix this problem. He can't undo this problem. So let's get rid of it. I mean, this is pretty evil. David has already ventured way off from living as a man after God's own heart, right? Like, this is, this is horrible stuff. David, king of Israel, he has an affair with a married woman. She's pregnant, and now he murders the husband. And, and it's, it's, uh, a lot of people believe that other people were probably killed with Uriah who stayed to fight with him. So here's how it ends. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. So now to an, to an outsider who didn't know the motives, didn't know the details of this story, David actually would have looked kind of like a stand-up guy, believe it or not, right? Um, the war would have covered up um, the murder, 
because people die in war. And, and back then, it was very common for kings to have multiple wives. God never says this is okay, but it was very common. So the whole experience is rewritten by David. David takes in the widow of a fallen soldier, makes her his wife, which would have benefited her socio, um, socially, economically, and then she has a child. And for a woman in this day to not have a child, I mean, she has no purpose. So now she has purpose. So David did her a favor and looks like a hero. But what does it say? The Lord was displeased with what David had done. And David is not off the hook. He doesn't get away with it. Story doesn't end here. God sends a man named Nathan to David to confront him, to call him out and expose him. And he does it in a crafty way. He tells David this story. And, and David gets very worked up by this story and thinks it's very unjust. And, and David, he's all worked up. And Nathan said, David, this story is about you. This story is about you and your sin and what you have done. And David realizes that he is caught in his lies, in his hypocrisy, in his sins. He is found out. And here's what he says. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So later on, David records this prayer following this whole experience. This is what he prays. Um, this is a man who committed adultery, went to great lengths, abuse of his power to hide and cover things up, murdered someone. And this is what he says to God. What would you say to God after this? Here's what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves, and I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Now, I could have just told you, you know, David is, uh, he was a great guy, but he made some mistakes, right? But that wouldn't have really captured what happened, right? I wanted you to see the details here, exactly what God forgave in David's life. Because here's the deal. We're all like David. We all need forgiveness and we all need cleansing for what we've done. Now, we might not all be exactly like David, right? Um, but we've done something. We've all done something that we're hanging on to. It could be stealing, lying, uh, the people we've hurt, the hate that comes out of our mouths sometimes, the, the lust, the greed that consumes us, even inaction, apathy towards people we know you, we ought to help or things we know we ought to do. That is wicked, Right? And Jesus makes it clear in his Sermon on the Mount, looking at a woman who isn't yours, a man who isn't yours, that's adultery. Right? Thinking about hurting someone in your heart, that's murder. God's standards are way loftier than we know. <laughs> and we fall short. And when we do, it hangs with us, it sticks with us, and it leads to shame, and it leads to guilt, and, and maybe even self-hate. We're broken, and it causes us to, to try to deal with it in some way. We've got to fix it. We've got to work it out. We've got to hide. Hide. We need a lie. But that's not the answer. 
And I think we know that. I think we all know, based on experience, that we can't undo the past. We can't fix these things. Uh, we can't make up for the shame and guilt we experience. So we don't know what to do, and we can end up helpless. But here's the deal. There is hope. We can pray this dangerous prayer that David prays um, and find cleansing. So how do we do this? If we break it down, I think we'll see some things that are necessary to believe um, in this prayer to find that cleansing we all need. So I want to point out two truths in David's prayer and then two outcomes from believing those truths when we pray it. First truth, you are responsible. All right, now, this is not a, a, a cool truth. This is a hard truth. We don't naturally want to accept responsibility, especially when it's things we know are wrong. Right? And it can lead us to do more and more wrong when we don't accept responsibility. Think of David's story. It's just a progression of not taking responsibility and doing worse and worse and worse things. Right? David, it, he, he looks at a woman, thinks about her, likes it a little too much, could have stopped right there, but he doesn't. Right? Let's, let's invite her over. What could happen? He's a guy. I can tell you what would happen. And it happened. He sleeps with her. And now he's in this pickle, right? Now he's, now he's in trouble. And so he, he goes to these great lengths, his abuse of power, murder, to deal with it. It's just more and more wrong because he doesn't take responsibility. Eventually, David does own his actions, but it's not because he chose to. It's because he's found out. It took Nathan coming to him to expose him. But he does get to the point where he says, this is my fault. I have sinned against God. And he says this, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. When you look at your life and you look at the things um, that haunt you from your past, current destructive habits, secret sins, do you own them? Do you say, that's me? Right? Have you come to the point where you can say, God, I have sinned against you. I am responsible for what I've done. You, you have to recognize we all have the same tendency that David has to hide and to cover up, right? But that doesn't change the fact that we are accountable and responsible for what we do. It's tough, I know. I have had to own some things in my life. I've had some Nathans in my life. I have had to said, this is me, I have sinned. And all along it was me consciously choosing to do this thing, even though along the way I justified it or rationalized it, right? We all need to own our past, our failures, our own actions. And I'm not saying it's easy. What I am saying is it's necessary it's necessary because we can't really ask for forgiveness and cleansing if we're not willing to take responsibility and come clean. It's necessary. It's not easy. But it is possible, especially when you consider the second truth. This is what makes it possible to go to God responsibly accepting what we've done. Truth two, God loves you anyway. God loves you anyway. This is the good news that allows David to approach God after everything he's done, it's because he believes God's love is greater than his mistakes and his sins. And he goes to him in honesty and openness, owning his actions. It's because he believed, despite who he was and what he did, God still loved him. And this is what he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. David believed deep down God's love for him was unconditional unfailing, unending, despite what, what David had done, God still loved him and he would show him mercy and he would show him compassion. David believed God loved him anyways. Do you? Do you believe God loves you anyways? I think we find it really hard to believe that. When we look at ourselves and we look at what we've done and we look at our, our mess and our stuff, we hurt people, we're selfish, we're prideful, we're all these things. How could God love me? How could God look at this and say, I love you, right? 
And here's the deal. We end up believing, when we think that stuff, we end up really believing that God's love is conditional. It's based on us. It's based on who we are and what we've done. And the result is we end up avoiding talking to him, praying, asking for forgiveness, asking for cleansing, because how can I approach him when I'm such a mess? But here's the deal. You can approach him because he does love you anyways. And we have to, we forget. It's so hard to believe this, which is why we always need to uh, focus back on Jesus and what he has done. His sacrifice for us. It's the greatest act of love that ever existed. It's when God said, see, I love you. Here's proof. Here's evidence. It can't be undone. There it is. John 3.16, a lot of us know it says, God so loved the world, he gave his son. He gave the world Jesus, and Jesus gave the world his life. There is nothing beyond that as an act of love. You can't give more than your life. It's the ultimate sacrifice. It's the ultimate gift. It's the ultimate expression of love, and it's exactly what God has done for you and me. God loves you anyway. It's true. All you have to do is believe it. And the cross is proof. The cross is evidence that God does love you, even though you're a mess. God doesn't love because of something we do. He loves because of who he is. He is love. So trusting God loves you like David did, it allows us to approach him without fear, without condemnation, without worry, because we know he loves us. And that'll lead to the two outcomes. First one is he forgives us. David prays, forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will sing joyfully, I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Our actions have consequences. Some, sometimes it's here and now in this world, right? But there's also consequences with God because God is good and he is right and he is just. He can't just let rebellion go unpunished. If he did, that would be apathy. That would be God saying, I don't care what happens in the world. And apathy is the opposite of love, right? Inaction is the opposite of love, right? So because God is just and he loves he has to hold people accountable. There has to be justice. There has to be punishment. But because he loves us so much, he balances that out with the cross where he says, I'm going to take your punishment for you. Jesus, he goes to the cross, he takes the penalty for sin, and he allows us to be forgiven. It's not God just letting us off the hook. There's still consequences. Now it's just Jesus is taking the consequence for us. And we can be forgiven. If you pray to God sincerely and you ask for that forgiveness, guess what? You have it. It is yours. He is eager to give it to you. He wants to forgive you, which is why he sent Jesus here in the first place. So here's the deal. Once you admit your sin to God and you ask for that forgiveness, you don't have to keep asking for forgiveness for that one thing. I heard a pastor explain recently, when we keep going to God and we're like, forgive me of this, forgive me of this, over and over and over for this one thing that we did, it shows we never really believed we were forgiven in the first place because we keep going back. It hasn't sunk in that it's already been forgiven. If you find yourself continually asking for forgiveness for that same thing, that past sin, that thing you can't let go of, you need to realize it's gone. It's been dealt with. It's forgiven. And that brings us to the second outcome. He cleanses. He removes it. David prays, wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Wash, clean, purify. It all just comes after forgiveness and it's God removing these things from our life now. The stain that is left on our record is wiped clean. They might be memories for us. There might be scars that we're left with, but God is not dwelling on it like that. God is not looking at us like we're broken or beyond hope or, or stained or ruined. 
And I love this idea because it, it goes beyond just forgiveness, and it's this idea that God is taking it off my permanent record. You know, when I, when I think of my kids and they spill on the kitchen table, which happens all the time, right, I'm not looking at my table like, now I have to get a new table. Right now I just wipe it up. I just clean it off. And you wouldn't even know like that stain was there, that mess was there, unless you saw it happen, right? I'm never dwelling on the yogurt that was smeared all over my table last week. It's gone. And that's what God has done for us through Jesus. He's not dwelling on this stuff. He took care of it, right? And I love the language of just cleansing because we've all cleaned something, right? Laundry, uh, a dish, a car, whatever it is, it was dirty, it got washed, it's clean. We just need to apply that to our life and see ourselves that way. I was stained, I got washed, now I'm clean. Whiter than snow is how David says it. When we turn to God and believe in Jesus, that is what happens. This is what's possible when we, re- when we accept the responsibility, we trust God loves us, and we go to him. We're forgiven and we're cleansed. And it's all because of what Jesus has done through the cross. He makes it all possible. So to help us develop a habit of going to God boldly for these things, asking him these things, here's some questions you can consider to kind of help guide you as you go through it. First, what have you done? What are the things in your life you can't let go of, make you feel ashamed, guilty, unwanted, broken? What are those things? Identify them. What secret sins have you been hiding? Destructive habits have you been allowing to grow? What's the one thing you hope no one finds out about? Identify that and take responsibility. Second, what attitudes have supported it? This is important because the attitudes, the thoughts, and the desires going on in our life, they allow these actions and behaviors to grow and to become big things. Think about it this way. You don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden just do something horrible. Some people do, but for most of us, it's a progression. We start at A, which for David would have been like looking at this woman, enjoying it too much, right? Start at A, and then we go A to B, B to C, C to D, and on and on and on until we're looking at Z, which for David would be covering up an affair with a murder. It's our attitude that allows this to happen. Pride allows us to say, I'm not doing anything wrong. Selfishness says, but this makes me happy. Discontentment says, I deserve better than this. This isn't fair. Bitterness is, they deserve this. And on and on and on. And when we have these attitudes in our life, It's like all the ingredients come together and then they result in these destructive habits, behaviors. What attitudes exist in your life? You may want to go back last week, re-watch, re-listen to Ben's uh, uh, search me prayer message and ask God to help reveal this stuff in your life. Third, will you go to God? Here's the good news. God already knows. God has already found you out. There's nothing you can hide from him. He already knows it. Your sins, your mess, everything. And he wants to give you that forgiveness. He wants you to realize you're forgiven. He wants you to experience this cleansing in your life. And we need to go to him because when we go to him, that's where we experience the forgiveness and the cleansing. So for some of you, the first step is actually embracing God's love for you because you haven't yet. Right? You do that by believing in Jesus, who he was and what he did for you on the cross. And when you genuinely, genuinely believe that, God rescues you, he saves you, uh, he redeems you, he forgives you, he cleanses you from your past, from who you are. He makes you into a whole new being, a whole new creation. And the healing process begins so you can live a new life. If today is the day you put your trust in Jesus, you, you ought to declare it. Tell someone, tell one of us uh, on staff or anyone here and, and talk about what's been going on in your life and let us celebrate with you that choice to believe in Jesus and what he's done for you. 
right? Also, maybe it's time for some of you to declare your faith through baptism. This is a step of obedience. And when we put it off, we, we put off other things too. Jesus commands everyone to, who believes in him to be baptized. And this isn't just for those who are new to faith. This is for those who believe and haven't done it yet. Right? Baptism is an external symbol of something we believe internally. And we do it right over here in our baptism. What we do, we go down under the water and we come back up symbolizing and identifying ourselves with Jesus' death, his burial, and then his resurrection. And we are basically by doing it saying, I believe who Jesus is and what he did for me. It's an extremely powerful moment in the life of a Christian. And we have this baptism coming up in a month. And you can sign up for that out at the Connect wall or you can go uh, online. For others of you, you believe in Jesus. You've been following him. You're forgiven. You're accepted. Are you talking to God like David does with that confidence where you believe God's love for you is bigger than your mistakes, your sins, right? Are you, are you experiencing the cleansing, the forgiveness, or are you holding on? Are you full of shame? Are you full of guilt? I think in all honesty, it just boils down to do you trust God loves you anyway? There's an author, Brennan Manning, uh, and he's someone who's had an impact on how I think about this. And he says, he has this famous saying where he says, I dare you to believe God loves you as you are right now. Not as you should be, but as you are right now. So I dare you, all of you right now, to believe God loves you as you are today. Not as you should be, not as some future version of you, the you that came into these doors today. God loves that person. Do you believe it? If you do, you can pray this prayer. You can go to God with confidence that he accepts you and he loves you. And you can find that forgiveness and that cleansing. We're going to practice right now, actually. Uh, this is a prayer you can pray anytime you need to. But if you came in here today and there's something on your heart, something on your mind, we're going to deal with it. We're going to go to God together. And we're going to trust him that he loves us. When you came in, you should have received uh, a slip of paper and some chalk. You're probably wondering, what's this chalk all about? Well, here's what we're going to do. We are going to identify that thing in our life that's, that's creating so much shame, so much guilt, holding us down, making us believe we're not loved, not worthy. We're going to identify it, and you're going to write it on this paper with your chalk, right? What is it? It could be that thing that's eating at you. You're going to write it on here, and writing is a powerful tool, right? It, it, it makes something real. It gets it out of here or out of here, and it gets us out here. It makes it real. It's hard to do. But this is just for you. This isn't for anyone else, all right? This is just for you. You can fold it, whatever you need to. But this is a chance to own it, to admit it, to get it out, to make it real, and write it down. And then what I'm going to do, after you've written it down, you've identified it, I'm going to pray uh, through a prayer based on Psalm 51. I'm going to walk us through this. Um, and this is a chance for you to get rid of it, to own it, and say, God, take this. Give me that forgiveness I need. Give me that cleansing I need. And during the prayer, if you, if you want, I would. I would hold it up just like you're saying, I don't want it. Take it. Remove it from my life. It's not mine anymore. All right? So let's pray together um, and go to God confidently that he loves us. Lord, I know you love me uh, despite my sin. Show me mercy even though I don't deserve it. I know what I've done, you know what I've done, and it's against you. It was rebellion, I own it. I inherited uh, this rebellious heart, but that doesn't mean I'm beyond hope. Bring me out of this brokenness to a place of celebration. Erase my sins, wash me from my heart. Wash my uh, heart, my mind, my life. Don't dwell on my sins, but get rid of them from my record. Make a new heart in me with new desires, a heart that loves you and longs to follow you. Clean my slate 
so it's pure in your sight and help me enjoy your love for me. God, help us believe you love us. Help us believe you've cleansed us. Help us live in a new way. We thank you for Jesus. He does make it all possible. His sacrifice, his life for ours. We could never repay that sacrifice and we don't have to. We just have to embrace it and enjoy it. Help us. Um, We love you and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you take this and you hold this out and you agree and you believe that prayer, here's what I want you to realize. You are the only one holding on to this. No one else is. God's not. When you look at this, you probably see that sin. But when God looks at it, all he sees is a blank canvas, clean, white. In a moment, we're going to celebrate this fact, this truth, um, and remember what Jesus has done for us through communion. Uh, Communion is open to anyone who's a believer in Jesus. And and what you're going to do is you're going to come up and you're going to take one of these double cups and it has bread and juice in it. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. And the juice represents his blood that was poured out for forgiveness of sins. And we take it and we embrace that promise. And what you're going to do is you're going to take that and then you're going to leave your paper, you're going to leave your chalk behind. Because that's what happened on the cross in exchange. Jesus took our sin and we get life. We get life. And that's exactly what happened. So you can take that and then you can return to your seat. And when you're ready during this next song, uh, you can take communion.